Hey there, welcome back to the Redundant Rufus Podcast. In episode 17 of my podcast series, I will be providing part two of my adventures in proselyting. So quick quick recap from the previous episode. I served a mission in California in the San Jose as well as its surrounding areas, and I spoke Spanish. I talked a bit about just preparing for serving a mission, learning the language a bit, and some experiences. This part two segment, I will continue that, but while I was actually in the mission field or where I was called to serve. Now, as in my previous episode, I will not be getting into spiritual of that nature, Not nothing against that, not to demean it or anything or those experiences. Just I want to continue talking about more the technical side, the relationship side, just adjusting to this new way of life and personal growth and development as well as different experiences, different aspects of a full-time proselyting mission that many people are unaware of. Now, the first day in the mission field is both anxiety-ridden as well as exciting. For me, I was in the MTC or the Missionary Training Center for nine weeks. Once I got into the mission, I'm like, okay, this is where I get to start to apply what I've learned and start to teach and interact with people and really know what it's like having a companion, you know, like living with them, forming relationships and learning the cityscape of San Jose, the different areas, the people, and etc. So the first day, get to the airport, and San Jose Airport's very small. And again, it was a city I had not heard of until a few months prior. Like the literally the week before I got my my call, I came across San Jose, the city, and I'm like, oh, it's uh, south of San Francisco in Oakland, Silicon Valley. Okay. So the first day we get to the mission home, which is where our mission president and his wife and family live. We meet our trainers or our first companions in the mission field. I was a bit excited, like I said, and also nervous because this is it. I'm going to apply and my everything. And my trainer was talking about, yeah, we have some appointments today. So that made it even more real. I'm like, okay, use your Spanish, John. It was fun. We, we, we first dropped my luggage off at our, it was a condo, and we shared it with another companionship. Quickly dropped them off and went to dinner appointment, then had a, a lesson with a family who was preparing to be baptized that week. I was deer in the headlights. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Kind of like when I started my MTC experience, we were all deer in the headlights. Well, it was the same effect in the first day, first transfer. Now, before I get into the most of the content I'm going to get into for this episode, the missions in our church are very structured. They're organized. So if you kind of think of it as I'm in the state of Pennsylvania, so each or each state in the country, like Pennsylvania, is broken down into counties, unless you're in Louisiana, it's parishes. And the counties in Pennsylvania are broken into townships and boroughs, and those are broken into, you know, like, neighborhoods and such so that's kind of like a mission you have the mission it's split into zones and then those zones are split into districts those districts are made up of areas and each area has a companionship two missionaries there is a leadership structure it's nothing formal it's just a way to keep everyone you know in line with you know performing their their labors or their duty as a missionary and it's just a, you know, the district or zone leaders, it's just a way to manage communication between the uh, missionary and the mission president. 
and if any issue happens, it's just a you know a, a communication channel. Now, in a mission, missionaries live in apartments. Sometimes they're condos, just depending on what's available in that particular area. So I had some places that were nice and some places that were not so nice, especially in the areas that uh, you know we were living. But you could really tell that, that missionaries were there or that that particular unit had been occupied for years from different individuals, different missionaries. Because the mattresses was a big reflection. There were dips and, piv- and pivots and holes even in some mattresses. And just, you know, the, the, the oil stains from missionaries' bicycles, you know, and the carpet. And typically each apartment had pots and pans. Not that we used them too much. Uh, but there was one apartment where there was a pot with the lid on it inside the oven that I was unaware of. We, well, we didn't know it was there. We don't know how many weeks it had been in there. But I take it out and open it up, and there was food in there. And a bunch of maggots and other stuff were everywhere. Stuff, you know, creatures flying out of the pot. It was incredibly disgusting, and we just threw that pot out. So I don't know what Elder was trying to, you know, was trying to be like a chef that day. But regardless, that was an experience. Now, in the mission, I'll just take mine for example. We had gas cards because some elders like the spanish missionaries or other other language missionaries they had we had larger areas and with that we needed cars now that didn't mean we had unlimited miles depending on the areas we'd have our miles capped some would be 1200 some would be 14 when i when i served in greenfield which is literally in the middle of nowhere in the produce basket of california I think we had 17 or 1800 miles because it was miles between each town. We were still conditioned to be minimalistic in our driving. If we had bikes, to use them. If you could walk to places, do that because it's expensive to maintain a car, especially uh, when occasionally there's accidents or fender benders, just the, the wear and tear on the vehicle. So they really try to make sure you did your best to take care of it, to not overdrive. And gas is not cheap in California. It, it wasn't then and it isn't now. Now, just like in the MTC, we had one day a week where we could write letters home, or at the time we could email, immediate family only, because it's easy to get that a privilege abused. It's easy to uh, you know stretch it out to emailing or writing letters to anyone and everyone you wanted. The dangerous thing about that for a missionary is the distraction it could give and producing feelings of homesickness and just, you know, not having that full focus because you're now you're thinking about and actively worrying and being emotional over people that you shouldn't be talking to, but you're now you're invested in their lives because you've been connecting with them. That's why for a mission, it's so important to be focused on what you're doing, to not distract yourself with with things or people that you don't need to. That's why immediate family, we were said, just write letters, email to them. So we did that once a week, always on preparation day. For us, it was on Mondays. And for most of the day, not all the day, it was a day of just preparing for the week. So that would be laundry or grocery shopping. You can have recreational activity with other missionaries in the area. Um, Just effectively preparing yourself for the week and doing things that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So during that time, we got to visit, what was it called? I always get the name wrong. I think Pinnacles National Park. It's, uh, I believe it was east of Soledad and south of Hollister. 
and it was a very beautiful park. They have beautiful rock formations and trails. There are also bat caves you could go through, but you needed a flashlight because otherwise it was very dark. Sometimes you'd be able to see them, but we went there, uh, I think, a couple of times. And there's other local sites and attractions that we're allowed to go to. Now, we weren't allowed to do amusement parks or go to the movies. Obviously, missionaries in their apartments, there were no radios, no televisions. I know now there are phones and you can access social media, but I know that's very restricted. But at the time, we didn't have that. It was just the, the most technology we had was a cordless phone in our apartment with an answering machine. And I believe the zone leaders had pagers. And the APs or assistants to our president, he had, or they had a, a cell phone. And we were all like, ooh, and eyeing whenever they'd use it in front of us. Preparation day was always nice because th- that's typically, I'm a nap person. I like taking naps. And if I was able to, I would take a nap on preparation day because otherwise it wouldn't happen. Now, I, would, I don't deny that a nap didn't take place at any other time. I think I can count on one hand in two years that I took a nap during the week. I felt at the time it was needful. Not to justify that decision, but we're all human, we're mortal, and there are times where we need to close our eyes and stop or else we are useless in proselyting. We just exist, we're not being effective uh, teachers. But being in San Jose, I really, it's one of those beautiful cities that I've ever been in. Now, obviously missionaries will become partial to their areas and where they see. But, you know, I really, it was a new city. Again, I I only, only recently heard of it. I was gifted with, when I was in San Jose, I wasn't able to see the Grand Prix race that they used to have. But I could hear it and from my window or our balcony... I could see the exhaust smoke coming out from the between the buildings and I could hear the cars racing and I'm like, oh, if only. <sighs> but nonetheless, I got to hear it and see the exhaust. So, But we did go in downtown uh, San Jose. It wasn't our area, but we did have, uh, again, our area was large. And so there were a couple people I, I remember we were teaching uh, that lived down there. Now, the Winchester house was in our mission, but I never, and we did have permission to visit there. I know some elders did, but unfortunately I never was able to. I think California Great Adventure uh, was in our mission. I only went there after my mission when I went back like a year later. Um, but it was a beautiful area, very diverse. I expected since it was California that it would be mostly uh, Spanish speakers, but you know, our mission, we had missionaries teaching in Vietnamese and I believe Tongan or Samoan. And we also had uh, sign language missionaries, of course, Spanish and the English. There was also Mandarin, and there may have been another, but it was a huge pot of different cultures, different ethnicities. So it wasn't, ex- there. of course, there were neighborhoods that maybe one ethnicity was prominent in or predominant in it but uh, generally speaking it was a pretty diverse area which I enjoyed because we got to have that exposure to different cultures different cuisines like in in, uh, in Hispanic culture you know predominantly the people in the San Jose area were from Mexico so I got to take part or 
in a lot of uh, Mexican dishes and delicacies. But there are also a substantial amount of people from Guatemala and uh, Peru and Colombia. So I got to enjoy some of those cuisines as well that, you know, that they would bring. And then a, a few times a year, we were invited into an American family home where we would have uh, spaghetti and meatballs or like pancakes, stuff like that, which I was always like, oh, no, I've missed this. But I got really introduced to a lot of different cuisines, like I said, and it's kind of stuck with me since then, like carne asada I have from time to time. And I have to say one of the biggest, awesomest, yes, awesomest takeaways from Hispanic food is the fact that at least in Mexican culture, I didn't have to use my utensils very much. They were there, but I eventually became accustomed to not use them. I would use my tortilla because there's always a pile of tortillas on the table. I would just, you know, tear the tortilla in a few pieces and just pinch it with my fingers, scoop up the food. I still do that if I can help it. So happy I could do that because it was kind of a, I guess at, at the start, kind of like a, an expectation. That's how I was supposed to be eating this food. And I'm like, you know what? I like this way of eating. Just scooping these up with tortilla, not having to touch a fork. Like occasionally, of course, I had to a little bit, but, but regardless, I liked eating with my hands. It was great. Now, as a missionary, and it's anyone learning a new skill or trade, you're going to make mistakes. You may have a foundational understanding of what you're engaging in or what you're speaking, but that doesn't make mean you're perfect. And you're never gonna be perfect at what you're doing, but you can be really good at it. You can learn from your mistakes and not repeat them. And a big part of at least the first half of my mission was overcoming that anxiety of making mistakes. Because it's very easy to judge yourself, to demean yourself and your capabilities. If you make mistakes and maybe someone points it out to you in a not nice way or it just you have an embarrassing moment and you refuse to try after or you just think oh it's useless I'm not gonna understand this concept or this process so I might as well just you know accept it and and move on like no as a missionary it's constant personal growth personal development it's not just your engagement with people it's also how you deal with stresses your own stresses or stressors and learning from your mistakes and at the time I had a really good companion who pointed that out to me he said just make mistakes he's like I can tell you have things you want to say but you're holding back he's like don't hold back this isn't the the place to hold back just just talk and of course it's not going to come out perfectly but you have to understand that the people you're speaking to greatly appreciate you. You like you're you're a native English speaker, but you are taking the time and the care to understand their culture, to speak their language. And it's something that I took with me and I really endeavored to just speak. Throw caution to the wind to an extent to just not focus so much on getting everything perfect, but to just express myself. And people resonate that to that more. And one of the great things about teaching the, uh, the Spanish speakers was they appreciated, you know, me wanting to learn and me asking them questions about their culture or maybe a particular dish or just how to say something. Because how you, this segues into another topic that, you know, 
how you pronounce things sometimes or the words you choose to express yourself or say something is different in different countries, kind of like with the United States or American English and then English from England or New Zealand or Australia or South Africa. There's different accents. There, some words are used more than others or only exist in those particular countries. That was a whole nother trial of mine, where it was the accents. Now, in part one, I had mentioned my MTC instructors. They had both served missions. One served in Spain and one served in Argentina. Of course, the motherland, Spanish, or Castellano, is, you know, the penultimate Spanish. It's the proper Spanish. It's where all other Spanish derives from, right? Argentinian Spanish sounded more, had like a European flavor, and it sounded more Italian, like the mannerisms or expressive nature of it. And my first transfer in San Jose was with a, a missionary who had recently come from Venezuela. He and other American missionaries, due to the, you know, the political climate of that country or turmoil, if you will, all Americans were kicked out and that included missionaries. So he and a few others came from Venezuelan missions to San Jose. So he had a very thick, he was American, but he had a very thick and recognizable Venezuelan accent. So I started to pick that up. Not just what I picked up from my instructors, but from this companion, my, this companion as well. In my follow-up transfer, I had a companion from Bolivia, and some Bolivian Spanish I was adapting. And the next transfer was with an American missionary who had gotten the Mexican accent pretty well. And so I was learning that one. And then a, a few transfers later, I had another missionary who was from Florida, but his family was from Cuba, so he had the, the a Cuban uh, accent. And so up to that point, it hadn't even been a year. I think it had been like 10 months at most. I had been exposed to the Spain-Spanish accent, the Argentinian accent, Venezuelan, Bolivian, Mexican, and Cuban. I, I was in a crisis, a, 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 um, a speaking crisis, if you will. I did not know which one to choose from, and people kept pointing out that I was sounding like, you know, Venezuelan in this way, or I expressed this like an Argentinian. This was just, I, I honestly, I was genuinely confused. And it was a real trial for me because I wanted people to understand what I was saying. That was very, it's very important for people to understand what you're talking about. And if I'm speaking with an accent or expressing in a way that doesn't resound with someone I'm speaking to, that's a problem. And going back to what the missionary told me just to express myself, make mistakes, ask questions, that helped me fine-tune my accent to be more Mexican, Spanish-speaking, that is. So at, at that point, about halfway through my mission, I felt that the accent crisis had been resolved. One of the rules as a missionary was we couldn't go to the beach. Specifically, we couldn't go swimming. There's no swimming as a missionary. Now, there were a couple of times... We did go to the beach just to, I think we, we played frisbee and just walked along the beach. Uh, that, was, that was fine. I did that a couple of times. And 
I only got to do that in Watsonville. Since the beach was a few miles to the west, it was a nice drive through the strawberry fields, and when we got to the beach, it was off-season, so there virtually was no one there. My companion and I, we were just walking along the beach. It was, I think it was March, <laughs> so it was, it was pretty chilly. It was, I, I think in the high 50s but it was very windy and uh, regardless we were walking along and there were lots of a lot of beachfront properties that you could you could rent and we got to a point where we we saw a couple of wooden spokes coming out of the sand presumably there used to be some dock there so we thought oh well let's take a picture of us standing on it so we found some driftwood placed the camera on there timed it so we ran out to stand on the these wooden spokes. We see the flash. The moment that we are about to get off, a wave of, it had to have been four feet high, just plowing towards us. And in our heads, we're like, oh, crap. We were unaware that it was low tide right now. Now it isn't. <laughs> so we, we booked it. We were within inches of getting swamped by a wave. But regardless, that was an experience. And oftentimes there's things as a missionary that you wish you didn't see. So I served for a time, you know, with Watsonville, and that area included Capitola and Santa Cruz and Davenport. And we, you see things, specifically in Santa Cruz. If you're unfamiliar with Santa Cruz, it's a college town. So University of California, Santa Cruz is there, and that college has... Uh, I'll try to be kind. It's influenced the town. So there's things that we saw when we were exposed to, things people said to us, activities I wish that I could have unseen. But uh, sometimes as a missionary, it can be kind of awkward because you stand out a lot in certain environments. And Santa Cruz was a place where we stood out like a sore thumb. Not to say that's a bad thing. But for it can be awkward, and especially when half the town is feels like it's staring at you. But that's the place where I first tried Pizza My Heart, Pizza Place, which is famous around there. Uh, a very delicious pizza. But while we were teaching someone in Santa Cruz, I think it was a house that a bunch of kids had, you know, were renting it. And while we were teaching this this young guy, all of a sudden someone just burst through the door hurriedly and closes it. And peeks out the window and looks over at us and says, "Oh, hi, elders. Yep, just uh, just hiding here from the cops. They're outside. They're they're looking for me." And we're like, "What? Like, what the heck did this guy do?" And the and the guy we were teaching was just really dumbfounded. I think he knew him, but was just kind of like, "Dude, what are you doing?" And uh, I mean, we had a a good conversation with this intruder, if you will. But yeah, there was a cop outside. Um, just uh, looking around and we're like um, should we say something but we don't know if this guy's armed so it was one of those situations where as a missionary where we were counseled to just don't ask don't tell we're not there to be to enforce any laws and that was one of the another tangent that was one of the expectations from our, our line our, our uh, proselyting we're in shirts and ties or suits that, you know, we'd be going around certain neighborhoods and people would think that we're immigration authorities. 
or you know customs or something but obviously we're not but it wasn't our job to report any illegal activity for example just we were there for a specific purpose and that's what we were to stick with so there i remember there was an instance we pulled up into this it was like a courtyard and there were these like four trailers in it and there were probably you know half a dozen women and 20 children just playing out there chatting we pull up not far from them they see us so we didn't necessarily pay attention to them so we opened our doors got our backpacks we looked up no one was there nobody <laughs> Mika. and uh we we'd knock on doors and we'd see that people were home it was very we weren't you know anxiously looking through the window it's just we we knew someone was there we could hear them we can hear the kids especially and uh, someone's front door had a couch in front of it but that, that was weird and we'd see things like drug handoffs children being used in that manner just casually walking across the street and doing a quick handoff and just those are sad moments it's like that a parent would have a child do that exposing that child to potential violence but as a missionary, you get lots of jeers, some people that just don't want anything to do with you, which is fine. It's a, it's ex, You expect it. Some areas I know are, are worse for certain missionaries, and some missionaries have had less than savory experiences. There were a handful of times where we were threatened, and uh, there were times where a bunch of tough guys would be driving by in a pickup truck yelling something. And I'm not going to dwell on that. It was just a, it was an expectation. It didn't happen too frequently, but it, it does. It does happen to missionaries, especially when people know you're not going to be confrontational or aggressive or reactive. You're, you're easy prey, if you will, easy target for, um, for such people. But something I don't know if I had mentioned it earlier in my previous episode, a mission is broken into transfers, and each transfer is about six weeks so sometimes you can be in an area just for a transfer, just for six weeks, or you can be in a transfer for longer. It depends on the needs of the mission and what the mission president feels is best, you know, if there needs to be a companionship change. So I had served in six different areas. San Jose I started and finished in, and I was there altogether for, I think, nine or ten months. I was in Watsonville, Greenfield, Hollister, Gilroy, Fremont, and Newark. And that gives each missionary an opportunity to be exposed to a different region of your mission, a different area, uh, different people, still the same church, obviously, same purpose. You just interact or collaborate with different church members and ecclesiastical leaders to support them in their missionary or proselyting service endeavors. And service opportunities are everywhere. Sometimes that's just what you do. You serve someone. There may not be much proselyting involved, but that that's okay. Sometimes it's just you're helping. You want to help someone. There were a number of Catholic charities that I helped in. Certain areas, there were Catholic charities where some time ago missionaries had just, or the church had said, yeah, you can, this is something the missionaries can do once or twice a week for a few hours, uh, just helping the community in that way. Not just... Uh, looking for service opportunities on your own, but established times where that's what you did. And it exposed not just the church, but missionary work, and it gave you the opportunity to meet new people. There was one that I 
I worked it was with um, kind of like food stamps, but needy, needy families who required food or groceries. And so we'd process and fill those orders for them. There were some where there was like donated produce that would be shipped off to different shelters that I helped in. There was a big one in San Jose where we'd handle, I think what I did was, it was like the clothing area. So I, I guess you could say I did retail for a short time, uh, just helping people that, were, that needed certain articles of clothing, you know, poorer families. Uh, lots of them, you know, migrant families who needed some clothes for their kids and, and you know, I'd help them find it. So, so those are great opportunities to do it. And, and there are times where we help people paint. There was one time we helped someone clean out their uh, external storage. It was, kind of, it was almost like a shed and there was a dead rat that we kept smelling, but I don't think anyone found it. But it was just that odor was pervasive the entire afternoon. It was disgusting. But those are just opportunities that we do to serve. And sometimes, even if people weren't interested in what we were talking about, you know, we'd still offer to, to, to help them in some way. Like uh, if they wanted to do some yard work, which I, which we did occasionally. So that was one of the things about a mission I was unaware of, or that I was kind of ignorant to, is the opportunities to serve outside of proselyting. Because it's, it's good experience for the missionary and helping them to be more engaging and learning how to interact better with people and, and getting to know them better. But also, it was a way to show... Uh, individuals in a given community, like these are members of the church, this is how we act, this is how we interact with people, you know, and we're very service-oriented. So, now, in these service opportunities, there were instances, and even, well, not just service, but proselyting as well, if you're in someone's home, more times than not, the television was on. Now, granted, it was mostly, in my experience, it was mostly soccer games. And if it wasn't that, it was Nickelodeon. But the, the, occasionally there, there would be, the, the TV would be on. And it was very distracting because we didn't have a TV. We didn't watch TV. So having a television, especially when the, we were teaching, we'd ask them if they could turn it off but most of the time they would just turn down the volume and we're like, okay. <laughs> so another thing with teaching someone is you also have to adapt and control your the situation as best you can. That's where I first came across the show Drake and Josh. It was uh, one, of the, one of the houses that I went to. They, they, the kids would have it on. And so after my mission, I, you know, watched, I watched the series. And there actually was a time, and I, think, I believe I was in Newark, where they had... So someone at some time got this subscription to USA Today. I don't know if it was by mistake or a missionary just, you know, broke the rules in doing that. But we get USA Today. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd use it to uh, see what the weather would be since we didn't have access to anything that would tell us or suggest what the weather would be like for that day. You know, we I'd look at this USA Today paper and see, oh, uh, it may rain. But since it was the San Jose area boasting over 300 days of sunshine, you didn't, you know, rain was non-existent outside of between October and March is when you get the rain. Now, obviously, I could ramble on and on about things, and that may be what this is, the format is kind of turned into with the duration of this podcast. 
is just uh, strolling down memory lane. But I, I hope it's at least provided an idea that beyond the, the proselyting, you have day-to-day human experiences. You're still growing. You're still you know, having troubles. You still you know, you meet people. So, so many things happen for a missionary on a day-to-day basis. We came home one night and had a bunch of brown material, sludge almost, spewing out of our um, bathtub or into our bathtub from a pipe in the wall. That was fun coming home and having to plunge all that out. So things happen, like riding your bike across a major intersection and suddenly the chain breaks off and you look like an idiot. Those, 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 embar- those embarrassing moments happen and people really notice you beyond the shirt and tie. Now, I do feel this has gotten carried away, so I'll, let me just wrap things up. Being a full-time missionary, proselyting or service missionary, it could be my church, it could be in any church, it's dedication, it's time management, it's structure, it's patience, it's enduring to the end, it's creating lasting, wholesome relationships with people, it's recognizing God's hand each day, not just in the lives of those that you serve, but in yours as well. You're able to see more of your growth, your potential, who you could or who you can be. I learned more about myself that it was okay to be an introvert. It was okay to have that personality. At the same time, it was rewarding to get out of my shell. I mean, I had to every day, but since then, from time to time, recognizing moments where it's beneficial to step out of your comfort zone, to you know, test the waters, to take a chance, take a risk. Like what I related before regarding learning Spanish. I had to just speak it. I had to be willing to make mistakes, ask for help. And I was learned from that. I became so much more confident and determined in what I was called to do. So that ends part two and the final part of my adventures in proselyting. And obviously I could talk much longer about this, but I'm grateful, I'm happy to have shared um, experiences and just day-to-day activities of a proselyting missionary. And if you do see a missionary, white shirt and tie, they stand out. But if you do see them, ask them if they could help you with something. Mowing the lawn, or doing some painting, or helping you move, or maybe just, you know, talking. If you have some problems, you know, these missionaries are great listeners. So show kindness to others. And just remember, it's very beneficial and worthwhile just stepping out of your comfort zone and finding your potential. So with that, I will end this episode, and I hope to see you in the next episode. Take care.